0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where supermodifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special live broadcast of the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. It is great to have you here. It is a Sunday night. It is the week before Memorial weekend. It is a great time to be a motorsports fan. IndyCar qualifying for the Indy 500 is now concluded. NASCAR is in the process of uh, running their all-star race evening. And... Next weekend, the Oswego Speedway goes green with the Port City event and the super modified racing season at the fast five-eighths of a mile will kick off. Welcome, everyone, to the uh, Inside Groove Live podcast. We have got uh, Jack Patrick going to be joining us, hopefully, later on. This one is going to be a little bit of a... Uh, guinea pig kind of presentation here because yours truly tom baker is not the uh best with technology here but we're trying we're going to try to do some more of these so uh trying to learn the technology to do these live videos and um camden proud was scheduled to join me camden is good at technology but um camden unfortunately lost his voice overnight uh so he's still looking around for it it's somewhere he just can't locate it so uh Camden is uh I imagine just probably um, curled up somewhere and listening to Rick Springfield uh songs on Spotify that's that's what I imagine that uh, Camden's doing at this point because he can't talk so um we hope that uh, you feel better soon Camden But in the meantime, this is, if this comes out well, this is going to be episode 98 of the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast, The Miracles of Modern Technology. Let us do video and audio. So we're going to make this episode 98. And I just uh, decided before the show started that since um, we are doing this special live video and since Camden isn't going to be able to be on the show, I decided that um, we would do a rewind back to 1972. Now, um, I decided as well that I was just going to pull a random program from my list uh, because I, I obviously didn't prepare anything because we're doing an hour broadcast and I'd planned to have Camden and Jack Patrick both on. So um, we're, uh, we're going to improvise a little bit here. So good to have you all here um and uh robert metcalf saying hello wow robert it's great to have you here and uh man i hope you're doing well i i'm encouraged by every report uh that you and your wife give us about uh, your um medical situation there and uh really excited that you are kicking cancer square in the butt and uh happy to have you here so um good to see you robert and uh, feel free, y'all, uh, to jump in the chat here. And, you know, we're excited, man. It's super modified time. We've already had uh, the opener at Lorraine, which Otto Sitterly uh, won. We had, we've had we had a couple of um, shows for the 350 Supers. We I think we had one at Waterford. I think we had one at Star. And we also, of course, had the Evans Mills show, which Michael Muldoon got the win in. And we also had um, the big uh, race for the SBS, which was uh, Dan Kaposinski's new series first race that uh, took place last weekend, too, for the SPS Supers. And uh, Mike Bruce got the win. And of course, Mike was our featured guest on the recent Inside Groove. Hello, Jeff Carson. Hey, man. Here's a, uh, here's something that we talked about uh, Camden and I on the last show, John Carson, not the talk show host, but uh, son of Jeff Carson is making his debut at the Oswego Speedway as a driver. How about that? Uh, running an SBS car this year, number 27 brings back memories of uh, Jeff, of Jeff Carson's uh, old 27, which uh, gosh, man, he had several drivers in that car. Um, Joey Hawksby was in it. I think Joe Gozik drove it. Uh, I know he did actually. And Dave McKnight, maybe too, a little bit. Um, trying to remember back. Jeff can help us here in the chat, but uh, good to see you. And good to see uh, Theodore Lefebvre. Uh Are you from Kentucky Theater? Wow, that's great. We love uh, seeing super modified racing, getting out there to the states where the supers don't race anymore. So good to have you all with us. Um This is going to be a very different kind of show. If there's any of you who are watching this, who are not regular listeners of the inside groove, super modified podcast, um, we would love for you to become a regular listener. We talk nothing but super modifieds and anything that races at the Oswego Speedway. That's kind of our, um, our, uh, target for that show. Um, we bend the rules once in a while where where I feel like it's uh, fun and necessary. Larry Trink is now joining us in the chat. Good to have Larry with us. Um, Larry's showing off the old joyous Chevy uh, yesterday. And, um, boy, that car, I can't wait. I am going to, Larry, I'm coming to Tennessee before the summer's out, I promise. I want to come and see that sucker in person. Um, so it uh, looks great and uh, showing it off at uh, at a function yesterday over there. Uh, and hello to Chris Brown and Mike Garlick. And uh, hello, Jody Dates. Wow, now we can start the show uh, because Jody Dates is with us. So uh, great to have you here, Jody. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody's doing well. Okay, so again, um, this is a sort of a very fast and lose kind of show Jack Patrick is actually finishing up dinner um I hope he's eating at Skip's Fish Fryer Lagroff's Pub that's all I have to say about that but uh Jack will be joining us in a little while and Jeff confirming that I'm correct uh, Joe Gozik, Joe Hawksby Jr. and Dave McKnight were his three drivers in the 27 car. That was a cool car um, and uh, still is a cool car, just not the 27 anymore. That was something I learned a little bit uh, earlier on this year that uh, that car actually is now, I think, the Kyle Perry car, right? Uh, car that uh, he's driving in the uh, 350 super modified divisions. Um And Bill McCurdy with us now from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Good to have you here. Um, How about BT3's win this afternoon? Um, Well, okay. So uh, you'll have to give me some details on that one, Bill, um, because I need to uh, get caught up on that. I was watching IndyCar qualifying all afternoon and doing some work. So, uh, okay. So I'm going to jump right in. We're going to step back in time here. And feel free in the chat to uh, chip in to this part of the uh, the show. I always love doing this. I had this idea a month or so ago. Again, for those of you not regular listeners, about a month ago, I pulled a program out of a box. Um, it was in the box with a bunch of other stuff. And I saw it. And I looked, and it was from 1972. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, this is 50 years old. This thing I'm holding, it just was one of those moments where you realize how amazing that is. Um, this particular program is from the same year, and it features Nick Rowe in the number 12. It is number 14, which means this would be week 13, I think, of the season that year that we're going to talk about here. Nick Rowe, of course, that car, it's a Michigan-based car, Bill McCurdy. Um and uh, I'm sure they probably raced Kalamazoo a bunch back in the day. Nick and uh, who was it? Claire Trierweller. Um, golly, Bill, I don't remember the, all the owners' names. But uh, uh, Nick, was, Nick drove that car a long time. Um, this particular, again, we're detailing week 13. And the way this works, again, for you newbies, I'm going to read what happened in the feature race. And we're going to go through the program together. And just remember, fifty years ago, back to the nineteen seventy-two Oswego Speedway Supermodified season. Um, okay, so uh, in the chat, I'll give you about uh, ten seconds or so to, if any of you want to take a guess on who I'm going to tell you won the feature in week thirteen of nineteen seventy-two. Ready? Go. Any ideas? Who won? Week thirteen feature in nineteen seventy two. Anybody want a quick guess before I read it? Everybody's scrambling to Google it. That's what happens. See now, they, they, uh, nope, not Jimmy Champagne. Good guess, Larry. Robert says Champagne. Nope. Mike Garlic says Nolan Swift. That's not correct either. Uh, I'm not sure. Nolan, I'm not sure he won a race in seventy two until the classic. Um, yeah. He might've we'll see as we go through the rest of the season in order, but I'm skipping out of line here. We're, we're uh, because I happened to pull this program out of the stack. So here we go. Here's the headline Andrews wins then loses. And then the weather wins again. So apparently in 1972, the uh, weather had been rather erratic during that season the weatherman again turned his back on us in the same manner in which he ruled the week previous. He did allow the second leg of the Empire State Twin 30s, which was rained out the week prior, to be completed, along with the heats, semis, and consolation. You can stop guessing in the chat. The winner was Kenny Andrews. Um, we're gonna, and I'm reading the, the uh, recap as we speak. Reigning second to the weatherman was Kenny Andrews who took the only feature honor of the night in a fine style, which found him outclass a choice field of super modifieds It was Ken's first feature win of the season, earning the Burlington, Ontario pilot a fine $775 payoff in the 30 lap run. Wow. Okay. I guess because they're twin thirties, the purse was split. Um, when starter Norm Bacon dropped the green flag at the start of the 30 lapper, It was popular Nick Rowe blasting off from the outside pole position to grab the early lead. Nick built up a good lead until Doug Sire spun his number 72 between turns three and four, forcing the yellow flag to be waved. Sire was pushed off and started at the rear of the field. On the restart, Rowe found the 55 of Andrews right on his rear bumper and held on for only a lap before Ken put himself ahead. Andrews began building a sizable lead, weaving his way through traffic with no problem. Back in the pack, Freddie Graves, Jimmy Champagne, Jim Cheney, Norm Macrath and Warren Conium started their moves to the front. Now, there are five of the best that ever sat in a super right there. Fred Graves, Jim Champagne, Jim Cheney, Norm Macrath, and Warren Conium. Gosh, how blessed were we back in that time period to be able to see all those guys on the same track at the same time? They all moved in on the front runners with Champagne clearing through for second, followed closely by Graves. Champagne seemed to have the only combination to catch the fast-paced Andrews and began cutting away at the lead. With the 30 laps quickly coming to an end, Champagne hustled his eight ball within striking distance of Andrews. With two laps to go, Champagne caught Andrews and they both encountered traffic but Andrews clearly had everything under control and even increased his lead on the final two laps and came home for the big win. Champagne put the eight ball across for a fine second-place finish with Fred Graves taking a distant third. Georgetown, Massachusetts ace Jim Cheney drove another good race, bagging fourth with car 19, while the Claire Trierweller Special Car 12 of Nick Rowe took a strong fifth. Okay, now I'm going to read the rest of the field. Check this out for an all-star feature field. Finishing sixth, Warren Conium in the Kempton Dates 28. Finishing seventh, Nolan Swift in the 10. Finishing eighth was Brian Osgood in the 09. Finishing ninth was Ron Pern in the 41. I'm going to get back to him in a minute. And finishing 10th, Red Barnhart in the sixty-six. 11th, the 29 of Mark Letcher, 12th, the 80 of Ronnie Madison, 13th was the 31 of Jimmy Gray, 14th was Ken Bartholomew in the 71, and I forgot he even drove that car. 15th was the 72 of Doug Sire. 16th, the 40 of Norm Macrath, 17th, the tw- the 9 of Johnny Clapham. 18th, the 25 of Bill Crosby, 19th, the old one of Brian Herb, 20th, Ray Sand in the 16th, 21st, Johnny Spencer in the 07. 22nd, Big Daddy, Don McLaren in the Flying Five. That must have been a bad night for him. 23rd was Tommy Rose in the 4, and 24th was Buck Buckley in the 3. The Heats were won by Andrew Champagne and Baldy Baker. No relation, but I'm getting there. Uh, And the semis went to Conium and Champagne. The Cuntsy was won by Irish Jack Murphy in... The thirteen. Now, before I go any farther with this, um, let's uh, let's catch up a little bit here. So, first of all, uh, Jeff Carson, the old twenty-seven, brought to the track as the 02 on Saturday had a mag issue, so only made a few laps. I'm wondering if he's driving it in Saturday's opener. Oh, okay. So I had thought. Um, see, I've still got the story wrong. I thought that uh, that was now the Perry. 350 but apparently not so uh, maybe it will race this coming week in the uh, port city event jay andrews when you said andrews wins you got my wife's attention if i had a nickel (laughs) no relation right jay um bill mccurdy bobby timmons the third won the 350 smack race at hudson in new hampshire this afternoon oh good okay i missed that one thank you for sharing that bill um Robert Kemp hurt his neck, couldn't race from memory. Yeah, I think it was a neck or a back injury for Kemp that uh took him out of the car and uh, I think he did it at work. Yeah, everybody says racing's dangerous, right? Um Mike Garlic forgot that Pern drove supers. Remember late mo- remember him in late models at Delaware? Robert Metcalf the third, Pern. Okay. So here's why I'm gonna I made a note that I wanna because a lot of you probably don't know or I'm sure a lot of people watching this wouldn't make the connection. Ron Pern has the distinction of having a pretty famous son who was a championship winning crew chief in NASCAR. That's right. Ron Pern is the father of Cole Pern. Um, And, you know, that was uh, a very, very uh, interesting when I, when I found out about that connection Again, it always amazes me how the Oswego Speedway and the supermodified world is way bigger than most people realize. It's pretty incredible, honestly. So, uh, yeah, Ron is, in fact, Cole's dad. Um, okay, Iber the Driver reports. I love this. Again, I say this every time I do this, but it's my favorite part of the old programs. Um See how I get this on camera. There you go, I think. Uh. <laughs> I'll get better at this video thing as we go. Kenny Andrews must have had mixed emotions last Saturday night. After winning the first feature, he wrecked in the semi while going for the lead. Whoops. And Brian Osgood's luck continues to be bad. He got boffed up again. Boffed. Today's word of the day is boffed good one iver he got buffed up again um last saturday the same accident as andrews he deserves a break pretty quickly and jack patrick has joined us joined us in the green room we'll get him on in a moment norm MacRath also continues to have a lot of bad luck with the Hagen howard 40 he just cannot seem to finish a feature also plagued with problems is the nolan swift timpins stelter crunched it again in last week's heat i think bobby um they had a lot of problems with the handling of that car. Really, kind of looking back, it seems to me, and some of you guys could tell me better, but it seems to be like maybe uh, Bobby didn't necessarily get a fair shake in in a way with that. Um, Doug Duncan can't seem to find what's ailing the car. 7 says he'll have a brand new machine next season. Hmm. Johnny Logan sure is running with a Max Dowker number seven. He's broad sliding it through the corner. Sounds like Stelter. Kempton Dates is scheduled to resume driving duties in the 28th this weekend. No word as to what Warren Conium will do. Well, we know what he did, right? He jumped in the old 4 and the rest is history. Two weeks ago, in a race in the Midwest, Bob Seelman and Tony Lavati collided, and both cars were badly damaged, and Lavati was hospitalized. Now, um, Ivor, apparently, uh, oh, I see. We got to resume the, uh, here's the first 40. There's two. There was two races the following week. A 45 lapper in the Midsummer Championship. So, for the first 45, Iver predicted uh, Jimmy Champagne to win, followed by Freddie Graves, Warren Conium. I assume he thought Conium was going to get a ride, right? <laughs> because uh, he had just said above that he was going to be out of the 28. So, uh, Baldy Baker and Johnny Logan. And then in the Midsummer Championship, he picked Champine to win over Macrith, Andrews, Osgood, and Baker. All right, so we're going to pause our look back at 1972. We'll get back to that in a minute because we've got more to do. Um, But um, I want to bring Jack Patrick in now, but I got to wait first for him to sit back down and um, get ready to join us here. All right, so with that, um, here comes Jack Patrick onto the broadcast. (laughs) How you doing? I can't hear. Well, hello, Jack. How are we doing, Jack? Yeah. Can you hear us? Oh boy.
2: Hello. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, we can hear you, Jack. How you doing? Not
2: too bad. You're a little broken up. Maybe my internet connection is not good.
1: Yeah, and you're on your phone too. That doesn't necessarily yeah. help. But you got the right background. You got your race car in the background there. Let me move. Okay. <laughs> Bill McCurdy says the flying fireman. Okay, we're gonna um, we're gonna put Jack back in the waiting room here until. Uh, He's situated and ready to come on with us again. But uh, this is why we, you know, it's a live broadcast, folks. You never know what you're going to get, but uh, it's great to get together with everybody before the season starts. Um, and, wow, okay, now I think we got him. Let's try this again here. All right, Jack. Okay, here I, I can better hear now? You now. I There we can go. Hear you. There we go. Okay. Um, nice uh, King Richard shirt there that you're wearing. Oh yeah. Generic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, great to have you here, Jack, and great to talk to you again. How's, uh, how's everything coming for you? I know you ran the open practice yesterday. How'd it go? Uh, not too bad. Um,
2: we had some issues right off the bat. Um, our, uh, pulleys on the front of the motor, a little bit out of alignment and, uh, and then we found one of the brakes was dragging on the back. And uh once we got those things sorted out, you know, and got got some fixes to it. Then the, the one of my uh cables broke holding the gear in place, so that was another one. But once we got those fixed, we went out and ran a few few good laps. So we we're pretty happy with it. No leaks, nothing.
1: Well, that's uh it's good at least that you got to shake it down before next week. I know you gotta be excited about uh getting started here in twenty twenty two. What are you uh thinking as far as the season goes? What are your goals? Um well
2: to be honest with you, we I didn't really know what the year was gonna bring. Um at the end of the year last year. We we were short a little bit of help and we were short a little bit of money, and I was debating what I wanted to do and then you know, the guys come along and said, Hey, we want to back you. We want to help you out here. And, uh, so I decided to give it another go. And, you know, we went through the whole car and we found a bunch of small little issues that were, you know, would add up to be something substantial. And, uh, you know, so I'm pretty optimistic going in this year. We got some good sponsors, a good crew behind me. And, you know, we're going to give it a shot here. I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, be competitive this year. I wasn't too competitive last year. We had to start in the back all year long uh, due to the handicap system. But this year we might, you know, there's some less, less competition than there was. I mean, Otto's gone. There's, I don't know who's going to be there week to week, you know, so there might be a little less competition. It's still going to be tough, um, but they're uh, throwing in the mix where you can draw for like, I think half of the races this year you draw for your starting spot, so maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll time trial in. That's what I'd rather do. So,
1: well, that's awesome. Um, and I, you know, look, it's a it's a brand new season, so you never know, and you got to be optimistic. I want to take you all the way back because I don't know if I ever really um, knew about how how did you get started with racing and what got you interested i know obviously you're from what where fulton right i think local area um tell me about how that all happened for you how old were you when you attended your first race and walk us through that uh that time for you well
2: yeah well i never raced at all when i when i was younger um i had to wait until i was 30 years old to Go out and buy a car and save some money so I could do it. But we, uh, I decided to go race them, you know, when I was 30 years old. And we bought Harry Powell's car, um, had a Mopar engine in it. And I was always partial to that. And we, we showed up at the track in 1996. And that was my first race. And I remember the night well because it was raining and uh, we were on a rain delay and so i missed my warm-ups no warm-ups i missed my heat um because i went out on the heat race and lost it and ended up on the front on the top of the wall and the hub rail coming out of the pits um story that uh i'll never forget because the the stands were packed and the, the whole crowd just exploded when i ended up on the front on the top of the hub rail i don't know how i did it but um that was my opening night at the racetrack and then we i obviously didn't run the heat but went out and ran the Concy after that but didn't make the show it was tough the first year
1: was it was it harder than you thought it would be
2: oh absolutely i mean i was always a kind of speed demon growing up um you know i i had a pretty good handle on a car when i was driving it and I thought I could get out there and do something. And then when I, when I first got out there, I was like, where are these guys going? You know, holy crap. I was, I was, (laughs) I knew I had a long way to go to try to keep up with what, you know, what I saw right off the bat. I'm like, wow, these guys are throwing it in there sideways. And I'm just trying to get around the track right now, you know, and that's, and I basically started over again in the super. It's, it's a, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. You go out there and you, you think that, yeah just put your foot down and go and you know but it's it's different the car's got to stick the car's got to turn everything's got to work for the for you to keep up and be in in the and you know in competition with everybody
1: now you actually ran a mopar for for a long time right i mean what what uh Help us understand that choice for you. Is there something particular that I know you had? I think it was at Parquet. I feel like you had a sponsor that might have helped with that. But um, talk us, talk yep. about running a Mopar against a bunch of uh, Chevys.
2: Uh, yeah, right here. Longley Dodge. They were. uh oh, there you go. Yeah. You know, they jumped on right when I started racing. Um, I had that Dodge engine in the Harry Powell car. And I thought you know, let's go to Longley's and see if I can, I've bought cars there before and let's see if I can get them on board. And so they did, they've been with me since day one, you know, Longley Dodge has been, you know, substantial to my racing career. And, you know, I've always drove Dodge when I was growing up too. So, you know, I just was natural fit for me to get in that Mopar and get out there and try that, you know, and I would love to do it in a super, but, you know, it's obviously a, a, a big money thing and, uh, you know, to step up and change the whole engine over and, you know, have a Mopar in there, but it, it is in the rules. You can run one, but, you know, I, I, I would need some serious backing to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I I've always, uh, I mean, back in the day we, we were, um, we dipped back to 1972 before I brought you on and, you know, back then you had, um, you know, I I know that uh, Irish Jack Murphy and the 13 was a Ford. You had, you had Pontiac, you had some other brands that were able to. Yeah, uh, the Hemikudas. What, yeah, what's the process? What would be the process for those who don't really understand? You can't just go get a Mopar and drop it in and go racing, right? What's what is entailed in? making that happen because everything's kind of set up for the Chevy.
2: Well, obviously the Chevy parts are more readily available. Um, Of course, right now you can't find much of anything, but um, you you would just have to start from the block. You know, you'd have to find a good old block, you know, which would probably be a problem, um, you know, and then you'd have to find your – your high performance parts to put inside it and, you know, go from there, a good injection. And, you know, basically that's it. I mean, the, the, the super motors are a little bit less, you know, you don't need the transmission, the clutch, the whole, you know, the bell housing, all that stuff. They're a little more simplistic, I guess, in that respect where you don't need too many parts, you know, you need the distributor and stuff. But I mean, the pumps, those would all, you know, be, probably crossover from the Chevy, just bolt them on. But, you know, it's just, it's just a money thing, just coming up with all the parts, hunting for them and that type of thing.
1: If anybody in the chat has any questions for Jack, just uh, drop them in and we'll pick the best ones and run with them. Um, I want to know what it was like when you started racing small blocks. There was, and not to say there isn't today, but you started, I feel like shortly, like right at the peak of the most competitive time for that division. What was it like to be able to, to have to kind of learn on the fly at 30 years old, um, against a bunch of drivers, a lot of whom have been racing for years and years and years in either that division or, you know, other divisions. Yeah. yeah. it was tough back
2: then because the division came out in ninety two and I watched it from the from the get go and you know Russ Brown was one of the top guys and you know Bob Gutermount and there was a lot of good guys, Timmy Guru back then and you know I watched them guys and I I decided I'd get into it and it seemed like a lot of guys got into it when I did and suddenly we had forty cars a night and qualifying was a big, you know, issue. Um, I think, I think I was halfway or more through.
1: Grabbing yep. some issues with Jack's signal there. So we'll, uh, we'll try to get him back, but uh, certainly a, um, certainly a, uh, a very intriguing, um, career that he had and and i feel like jack was one of those who accomplished a lot with a little uh, let's see if we could get him back on here jack i think we got you back now i had a little blip with your internet i think can you hear us yeah jack? can you hear me now yep we yep. got you um, so uh yeah, pick was, up your story there
2: because there was there was 40 plus cars a night and i was I was saying I was about halfway through the year or more before I even made my first feature. So, I mean, it was a tough go back then, for sure. There was a lot of tough competition, and, you know, we were having four heats, two concies, you know, and a lot of – most of the time you were going home, you had guys that would win a feature. The following week, they wouldn't even make the feature.
1: Missed the so, show. it was yeah. tough. Yeah, I feel like in there was a point in time – Back then, where there were many nights when what they the small block division, which was then called the limited super modified division, was was actually put on better, more competitive shows than the big blocks did. Yeah, yeah I mean,
2: for a while there, I think the the I mean, in the beginning, it was tough because you had you had times where you'd end up with a pile up, you know, one guy would lose it. And then we were so close together. It was, it was tough to avoid stuff. And guys started to realize that and started to calm down a little bit. And we started to work together in our races and give a little, you know, and the races got a lot better. And that's, that's the way it is now. The guys out there, they, they really work together. they're a good bunch of drivers, and they do you got some good race in that division. You got a lot of rookies this year that you know are looking pretty good, and you got some veterans coming back it's It's looking good in the s b s series you
1: know yeah, it really is nine rookies for twenty twenty two in the s b s division mm-hmm. and i mean that's it, boy, you'd be hard pressed to zombie. find too many short tracks with nine rookies you know, in a in a in a class. Um, you know, mm-hmm. obviously at dirt, you have more cars in general. So but uh on pavement you'd be hard to find a division that has nine rookies in it going into a season, oh, I think, especially know. in this day and age. So talk about your transition over to the super modifieds, because um that would seem to be very daunting for you. Um, because you had such limited racing experience to begin with and then coming out of the small block, which, you know, although they call it a super modified, um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of like an apple and an Oreo cookie. They're both food, but they're not anywhere near the same. Right. So talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you and, Talk about, because I know there were some folks that helped you to make that transition too. So talk about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, in the
2: SBS, I was more of a controlled um, finesse driver. I didn't really do a lot of muscling my way through the pack. Um, And I always felt like I was more suited to drive the Super because those cars were more of a, a finesse kind of car, you know, and the, where the SBS, you you got to really muscle and throw them in there. You know, you're, you're on the edge of being on, uh, being sideways in that. And, uh, you know, I think when I moved up, I thought it, that was going to help me a lot, you know, to, to have that, you know, in my, in my bank there with the, and uh, it has, it's, it's been It hasn't been too bad of a transition for me. I mean, I thought I was decent right off the bat. It took me a little bit to get up to speed, which I expected, you know, to get used to the speed. Um, But once I got used to the speed, you know, and and the way the car's handled, I started to get a little bit better. Uh, We haven't had a lot of opportunity to start up front. Actually, only one time in my – well, this is my – third year now racing and uh we started up front one time and i was able to hang up there and I, we finished fourth that night in the feature and led the led the race for 10 laps um there's something to be said for starting up front because it lights a fire under you and you know you you gotta go you, you, if you want to stay up there and yeah you know, and I, I had it in my mind we were running quick that night we were we got down to, i think it was 16 that night, and that was the night that uh, Tyler, I think, broke the track record, oh, but, okay, yeah. You know, that was our fastest night up to that point. Um, so, I mean, I knew I was quick that night, but I also knew Tyler was very quick, and I was watching his number come through the pack, and you know, when I was up there in the lead, I saw him coming, and I I knew he was much quicker than me, and he got around me, but I I tried to stay with him, and, you know, we, we finished out that race decent, so you know, I'm looking for, for, you know, some more opportunities, you know, to get that fire under my butt, you know, so to speak, instead of being at the back and having to keep your eyes peeled and, you know, watch out for the mayhem going on. Uh, I started in the back last year, opening day on the feature, and lo and behold, going in three opening lap, I thought I was back far enough, but the track was completely blocked I had nowhere to go and you know we ended up bending the axle and doing some damage set us back I mean because now you got to put the car back together try to get it back where it was and these cars are a little bit harder to get back where they were you know as opposed to like the FBS so but we're learning I mean I got some good help now um Terry Johnson come on board and now I got Kelly Miller and yeah, guys that have driven a super and, and worked on them a lot, you know. So, I mean, those guys are going to help out a lot.
1: And,
2: so, I'm I'm, I'm looking, looking forward that. to the season. We got some good sponsors and stuff. So, that's great, Jack. I'm
1: excited <clears throat> looking forward to for you. Sounds like you're uh, y- you've you got a lot of experience behind you this year and that's going to help your learning curve a lot. I'm sure. Okay. Now I'm, I, w- I'm sure that we've, because we're running this uh, special Inside groove super modified live podcast edition on both um, inside grooves, Facebook, but also on steering wheel nations, Facebook as well. So you may have some um, fans in here who aren't real familiar with <laughs> super modified. So um, I would love for you, because again, you're not, you've only, you know, been in the division a short time. What is it like to race a super modified at the Oswego Speedway?
2: I'm sorry. I didn't catch the end of that.
1: Um, what is what, it what? like to race a super modified at the Oswego Speedway?
2: What is it like? Um uh... I get, it's like driving a rocket ship around a very small circle. Um, I always thought I was going fast in the SPS until I got in the super. And then it's like, it's, it's almost like you're, you're on the end of a string and and somebody's whizzing you around the track. (laughs) And, you know, there's times where, and those are the good times where you, you actually are driving the car, and you feel the pavement moving under you, and it feels like the car is not moving, but the pavement is going warp, you know, ninety underneath your car, and you just steer to go through that. You know, you—if anybody that's ever played a video game, you know, it's—it's it's a lot, it's—it's it's similar, but you don't feel the stuff in a video game that you actually feel in the car. I mean, and you can adjust on that with your driving style, you know, by the what you feel in the seat of your pants. I mean, I, I I, felt something yesterday. I started to go around coming out of four and I hadn't really gotten too bad out of shape in this car since I've been driving. And I think that helped me a lot because I, I didn't panic. And I, you know, I did what I had to do to try to straighten that car out. And I had some guy, Steve Miller, come over after he said, yes, he said, that's about as far as you can get. Out of shape without losing it completely and keep going. So, you know, I just, I'm learning as I go and it's, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's not as easy as it looks from the stands. Let me just say that. It's, it looks like, yeah, anybody can get out there. But first of all, you got to have the, you know, the, the desire to do it and be good at it because if you don't, you're not even good. You're just going to drive around there 90 miles an hour. get past left and right. You you really got to have the desire, first of all, to do it, you know, and then work at it. Absolutely. It's it's not
1: easy. Super modifieds. If you're uh, new to super modifieds and you're watching our special broadcast tonight, super modifieds are the most exotic short track cars on the planet. And uh, um, we'll have some, um, we'll have some back and forth with our Sprint car, asphalt brethren about which one's the fastest it kind of depends on the situation of the tires but uh, you're talking um, about 850 pounds and uh, somewhere between eight and nine hundred horsepower so it uh, either way whether it's the fastest or not it's pretty doggone fast okay a couple questions from the chat yeah. Will McCurdy says does Jack still have the Mopar SPS car Jack? do I have what do you still have the the Mopar SBS car? Oh no, I got rid of that. Um,
2: that was originally sold to Ken Moody, and then um, oh. he got out of it, and he sold it to, I believe, Brad Haynes has it now, and he is, uh, I believe, he's re- rehabbing that car and going to bring it back out, which I nice. can't wait to see.
1: Nice. Is he still going to run yeah. Mopar? Would be the question.
2: No, <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, that's, that's still sitting in my garage. the The engine that I pulled out of that is still sitting go. in my garage, and it's only got one season on it. And it's a it's an amazing engine. It really is. Um, and I'm selling it if anybody was interested in buying a nice 360 small block engine. I I, I got a great one. And, Guarantee it put out 500 horsepower with a four barrel on it.
1: Well, there we go. If anybody watching the show that are uh, listening to the show that wants to, um, wants to purchase that motor, you can uh, go ahead and contact Jack Patrick. He will make you a heck of a deal. Uh, Bill McCurdy, uh, what is the tire situation for the Port City? Uh, Jack, the, as best you know it.
2: Did you the tire situation
1: yeah what's going on with the about tires? that yeah that's uh bill mccurdy as far as know i about- know um we're
2: going to be limited a little bit on left front tires but i believe that we're going to have tires for the whole season um okay. they're a little bit more expensive than they were you know and, and the fuel is a little bit more expensive than it was you know so all the costs are are up a little bit. The parts are up. Everything's up. And yeah. so it's going to be a struggle to get through, but we're going to try to, you know, budget our money and, you know, run tires, you know, as much as we can.
1: Good. That's uh, okay. So um, let's see. I missed. Uh, okay. Brian Cavalier. Ask, uh, how do you feel about the future of super modified racing at the Oswego Speedway?
2: Um, I think. I think it's going to stay. I, I think it's strong. I think you're going to, I think the cars are going to have to adapt, you know, the the three different, the different divisions, ISMA and MSS and the Swiggo. I think, and, and I think this wing thing is the start of that. I don't know if we're going to all go to top wings or if they're going to all go to back wings. I don't know if we're going to go to shovel tail, you know, but we all need to work together because, the, there's obviously not a lot of cars left that are out there, and and, and it's, it's it's so expensive that you know the cars are dwindling. So you need these divisions to work together to uh, for the the good of the whole. And I I think it's going to survive, and I'm that's why I'm in it. I'm doing my best to help out and help the division survive. Bring some young guys in. You know, there's a lot of young drivers out there that do want to move up so you know
1: yeah well then we need that we we've got nine rookies in the sbs class i don't think we have any in the big block right now so Mm -hmm. we need to we need to be able to figure out a way to get more people running the big blocks and uh, uh, another question from brian cavalier in the chat and uh actually brian and i are brian you got to get out of my head um my base there's a circus that goes on 24 7 in my head once in a while i open it up to the public uh but uh you were thinking about my next question which is are you going to run the three top wing shows that uh are going to be at a swiggo this year with uh, the john the coach and his group are you going to yeah. run those yes
2: brian Good. yep we are going to run those three shows um i purchased a wing from mike McVetta this winter um and we've got it we we tried to get it mounted we're just about there you know um but we're going to try it i mean it's going to be a whole different thing for me to uh go out there with the top wing i I'm, I'm really just getting used to this car and now we're going to throw a wing on the top but i'm hoping that you know i can learn quick and go out there and have some fun with it you know we're not looking to set the world on fire with that we're just going to go out and maybe get some experience with that and maybe learn some things about the car and the way it drives, you know, just by having that on top.
1: For sure. Yeah. Like fun. Okay. Larry Trinka asks, how did the new partial pavement affect the racing line and the racing in general at Oswego? Um, what did you notice in practice yesterday about that? Um,
2: there was, a couple of areas um, that were a little bit bumpy that I noticed that, you know, flew the car a little bit. And I I hope they address that. Um, there was a couple of drivers I talked to that said the same thing for the from the same spots that I mentioned. Um, as far as the patches that are random, I, I don't think those are going to matter too much. Because you're driving over them and then off them and on. I don't think that's going to make a big difference. It's kind of the big patches, like going into one, there's a big one, and going into three, there's a big one. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit of a, I don't know, I think guys are going to need to get used to that a little bit, you know, come Saturday. But I don't think it's going to affect the racing too much.
1: I would imagine it could be pretty unsettling until you get used to it being there. Right. Because there, I mean, those cars are so sensitive as to, to, you know, the bumpiness or the, or the different, uh, you know, uh, nuances of the racetrack, aren't they?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The car, the car likes to go where it wants to go, you know, and now it's, it's a different little, it's different out there. It's graded different, you know, it's just, it's smoother, you know, so you, you definitely got to get used to that. You're, you get used to going into one and feeling that little bump there and it's not there anymore. And, you know, you're going into three full, full song there. And all of a sudden about halfway through three, you you hit this bump and it kind of jolts you a little bit and throws your car a bit, you know, so you gotta be ready for that. Or we got to figure out where they are and try to avoid them. You know, that's, that'll be the key. I think as far as, you know, this weekend,
1: Larry Trinka wants to know, is there more or less grip due to more oil in the asphalt? I didn't notice
2: a difference in the grip on it. Um, Some of the guys, we didn't get out there early, um, but some of the guys said that after it rained that it was better on those patches, but we didn't run across them in the heat of the day because we were still working on the car. Um, So I didn't get out there until after it rained. So I'm not sure how that's going to be. I think you're going to probably, I would think you'd get some oil bleeding from them in the heat of the day if it's really hot. So that might, you know, that's going to throw things off too. It's going to be interesting to, you know, see who can adjust on their car.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting because it sounds like, uh, and I wasn't aware that they had done a lot of this to the track surface. So it it sounds like, it's it's a sort of a pretty serious change there again considering the sensitivity of the cars um and it's something that all the drivers are going to have to be aware of for a while and just adjust their nuances and what they do with the pedals i would guess
2: yeah i mean I, i approached it differently i went out there and i just pretended there was nothing out there and um I found out that there was something out there, and you know, you, and you, it, it opens your eyes a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think a lot of guys are going to feel that. And but I, I'm just hoping that the the patches hold up and they don't start coming apart. That that's the big thing, you know. As long as the, as long as the pavement holds up, we'll get used to it. That's that's not an issue. I don't think it's just it might drive a little differently. But you might have to break at a different point, you know, or not break as much at one spot, right? Or another, you know, coming across the, coming out of the back stretch, you're kind of, you're kind of coming across that patch at an angle, you know, and you're going up off of it, you know, and then going back across it, and but I didn't really see that that bothered me too much, and so I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue. It's it's mainly, you know, entering the corners and and whether the pavement holds up. You know, I think if it holds up, we'll be
1: fine. Yeah. Um, You never like the word if, do you? When when you're talking about a track surface, it's always an interesting proposition when you sort of try to, to, (laughs) instead of repaving, which of course would be extremely costly, um, you know, you're trying to just do what you can to maintain the surface you have um right. and I, that can always be i mean we saw what happened when they decided to repave atlanta motor speedway this year they of course they reconfigured it too but they turned it into daytona so uh you yeah. know i always felt I like thing. if a swing yeah. ever repaved you'd pick up half a second or more on the times and that seems scary to me yeah
2: i that's the thing with that you know you repave that track it's it's probably going to make it too quick you know and we're borderline on that right now. I think, um, the cars are, they're, they're so quick right now. And they're so, they're so dependent on arrow, you know, going this speed that it's very, very hard to pass sometimes. And, um, you know, by making it faster, I don't think you're going to help the situation and you need to, I think if anything you need to maybe slow the cars down just to touch or something. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's it's become very hard to pass with the the fast speeds we're going 158 around there you know it's just yeah it's fast
1: it's catch 22 isn't it cuz i i've always said that too i thought you know for me it's always i'm not i don't care if you're going 158 or 178 as long as the competition's because good the and the racing's right. good right and and yep, and um, it's kind of one of those I've always felt like the danger of trying to manipulate that and, and people will say, well, the cream will still rise to the top. And, the, and, and I don't think anybody's trying to make it so that somebody or whoever doesn't win. I think it's more about just making it so you guys can, can pass and can race each other better. And I, I don't know that, uh-huh. uh, you know, I don't know that the, it, the you can do too much at this point with the current race car that you have with all the air on the downforce and everything in the wings. Um, I don't know what you do to that uh, to to really slow them down. I think the tail wing was supposed to slow them down, and it sped them up. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think they did.
2: I think they, yeah. they definitely sped it up. I mean, because, you know, the cars seem more stuck now than they were before um i did get to drive the car with the other tail before not the whale tail but the you know the rear wing um the other one before this um right so i did get to compare it a little bit and and they're they're more stuck now but and yeah they're going so fast you really somebody's got to make a a mistake for you to actually be able to get by somebody it's 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 so hard because the cars are so equal you know with the arrow on them so,
1: yeah, it's just, it's, it's just interesting. And and that's not, I don't feel like that's exclusive to super modified. You saw it NASCAR with the cup cars and you know, that it's, there's a lot of divisions yep. right now that are sort of suffering from that a little bit. I think, I think the, mm-hmm. the whole technology, mm-hmm. I don't know if it helped the competition necessarily, but I also think it's still evolving. I think people are trying to figure out how can we have the balance, right? So we have the technology, but also have the ability to race, uh, eliminate sort of that arrow push or the dirty air um, that happens Mm -hmm. when you're running behind another car.
2: Yep. Um, The the arrow and, and like, I mean, if you, you get behind somebody with these cars, it, it gets really tight, you know? So you, yeah. you, you, try to make a move and, and, and NASCAR, it's the same type of thing. They, they're, yeah. they're aero, you know, dependent and it's gotten that way. And it, and it has, I think it's made it tougher to have good racing because of that. Um, you just don't get the cars getting out of shape and, you know, the other guy controlling his car better than you and, getting by you're running a different line um much like on dirt they run all different lines um but i mean they're going a little bit slower but i mean they have multiple lines they can pick and right high low you know and then uh, they have good racing you know because there's lots of lines um we're limited with our lines it's and that's all to do with the arrow and the speed you know you just you got to get your car on that fast line or you're not keeping up, you know, and you try to pull out to pass somewhere. And if, if the track's not there, you're just, you're going backwards. So you know, a lot of that's what's going on up at, you know, up at swiggle. A lot of times you pull out a line and you're, you're getting freight trained. I'm yeah. hoping it's going <laughs> to change. Maybe it'll change with this new pavement.
1: Well, yeah, again, you never know what's going to happen. Um, the, pavement, the the changes they made could be good, they could be bad, or they basically could not make much difference at all. You know, you just have to, and I think mm-hmm. it's going to take a little while to see what it actually does because um, it's going to keep getting hotter, you know, as the, the summer sets in. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and you can get some more rubber down on it's it. So change. it'll be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to change. Now, you're obviously still, um, still working with the fire department, right? Talk about, uh, talk about that a little bit. I think people would love to know more about that.
2: Well, um, yeah, I've been there 19 years, just over. Um, I got 10 months left, and I can retire, and I'm probably going to. I'm planning on it. Um, Getting up there in age and the 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 fire department now is uh it's a young man's game there's a lot of young men in it and they're tough young men and you know I'm I'm getting I'm 57 now and you know I'm I'm getting ready to step out of that um it's been it's been exciting um you know there's a lot of rewarding things about it and you know some not so good of course but um yeah it's been it's been a long run there, but it's winding down, and I'm kind of looking forward to taking it easy a little bit.
1: Good for you. Yeah, that's um, and thank you for the service. I always, every day, I pray for our first responders and our troops because, you know, you guys are putting your lives on the line every day. Uh, back to the chat here. Bill McCurdy, would repaving the entire track, Bring a second groove now. Brian Cavalier jumped in and said just pave the outside groove. Um, what's your thought as a driver, Jack? I I think that repaving the entire track may bring a second groove. It will also, like we talked about, bring more speed, uh, which I don't know is a good thing. Um, but I'm not sure just paving the outside groove would be a help.
2: Yeah, um it might. I mean, that outside groove has gotten really slick over the years. Um, I don't know, because, you know, it's been used more. Um, You used to be able to go out there, and, you know, back in my SBS days, even in, like, you know, 2012, 13, 14, you could go out there and you could rip by people in the outside lane. Um, And, I mean, Otto did it all the time. A lot of guys would go up there and use that lane, you know, and and it it seems like it's gotten – so you can't use it. So I don't know. They put some stuff, sticky stuff, down there a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I really thought that brought the lo- the outside lane back. You know, and I'm probably a, an expense thing with that. I, I can't imagine that's cheap to do. But I mean, that was a big thing that helped. But I mean, as far as paving the whole track, you're gonna, you're gonna make it so fast that. And you might you might get an outside lane. I don't know. It's, it's that's a tough tough deal.
1: You so might get three lanes. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Three wide through the corners. I don't know. Yeah,
2: back in the day.
1: Yeah. Abel, oh, it was, yep. It's unbelievable to watch some of the uh, the old videos from the seventies. Even I mean, I was really young then. So I don't know that I paid a lot of attention, but when I watch now, there were guys sometimes four wide on the straightaways. It was like oh, how in yeah. the world did they ever all survive? Like every once in a while, you see something happens. Like well, they didn't sometimes, right? Um, you know, it's uh, it, those guys were nuts back then. Um, oh, yeah. I'm curious, Jack, if if the three fifty supers would have been. Kind of where they are now. When you made your transition out of small blocks, would you have gotten 350 instead of big block? Uh,
2: well, probably not, because ever since I was eight years old, I come to the racetrack here, and uh, you know, just always wanted to drive a super modified. Um, so. You know, when I got to the point where I'm like, okay, maybe I can afford to give this a shot before I hang it up, you know, I just decided this was the way I wanted to go. You know, I I did consider it, you know, but not for very long. You know, I just the right deal was there, you know, with Sean and I just I thought it was a good car to get into and I you know, that's the way I wanted to go with it. I just I mean I think the three fifty supers are great. They're a great division. There's gonna be there's some great racing in that class. There's some great drivers, yeah. and I think it's going to grow. Um, but, you know, no, I, I don't think I would have not have changed. I I, would, I definitely wanted to go with the big block all the way. and I'm glad I did. Um, you know, got to live my dream here. And, I mean, I don't know if I would step back to a 350 after a few years in the big block. Who knows? I'm not sure. I'm going – Ever since I got into this uh, 26 years ago, I just said I'm going year to year and week to week and seeing what it brings and going from there. And I'm pretty much the same way right now. As long as my my health and my finances are okay and I can still do it, I'm going to keep going as long as I can.
1: That's a great answer, and it's it's a very telling answer in some ways because you know, I think that's a lot of people worried about. Well, you know, do people leave the big blocks and go back around the three fifties? And I don't think we've seen anybody really do that, um, other than maybe Vern Lefebvre, But I think he was already pretty much out of the big block. Um, yeah, and you know, we've we've seen. Uh, a lot of people come up out of the SBS class, and I think it's a good—it's a good mid-step or precursor to running a big block super, even if you know the changeover is not quite as uh, easy as some might think. But it's still possible, and it, it's good for the guys that just either can't afford it or want to get some experience first.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, moving up from the SBS I and mean, the 350 is definitely a. A more affordable, probably option, you know, um, for for a guy moving up out of that division. But and then you, I mean, and then you got the car. You could always move up to a big block later on, you know, just modify the car a little bit. And uh, but I mean, I with the commitment program we have in the big block supers now, um, you know, it's it's gotten a lot better and a little bit more affordable, you know. So. So guys like me are able to uh, to do this, you know, because sure. we, we don't have all the money in the world, you know, but we're, we're doing what we can. I just love racing and I just want to keep keep going and, you know, maybe inspire the, the next little guy that don't have much money or, you know, much help or whatever to just go for it, you know, because that's what I did. and I wouldn't be here if I didn't stick my head out and just go for it.
1: Yeah, that's uh it's really interesting. Brian Cavalier just threw a question in the chat. I'll throw out to you cuz an interesting question. If a Swiggo went to the top wing full time, could the cars still do 200 laps for the classic? I would say yes, right?
2: Uh, really? I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah, I mean Of course, the top wing probably put a little more stress on the motor. I don't know if he's referring to, after running a full season, making it the 200 laps with the engine still, or having to get it refreshed. I mean, some guys refresh now before the Classic. I don't personally, but um, I I think they'd hold up, and it's a big block engine. I think you'd hold up fine for a whole season and and a nice 200-lap Classic. Yep, absolutely.
1: I would think, especially with the reduced schedule that uh yeah. they're running now um I would think you could do it though I'm surely mm-hmm. not a mechanic, so I wouldn't know but uh my other thought on that is is that I think it would fundamentally change the classic a little bit because it's a lot faster with the top wing, so yeah um it's i I think the The ISMA classics, every once in a while you got one that was a great race, but a lot of those, once somebody got out front, was hard to catch them. And and, uh, so I don't know that the racings is equal with the top wing in that sense. I feel like it's even more, you know, hard to pass somebody. Um, I've always thought with the classic traffic, the slower traffic is what made that race. Years when you had a lot of attrition, um, you didn't see as much late race drama for the most part and years when you don't, when you, when you don't have a lot of attrition, you have a lot of lap traffic still at the end. That's when you get your, your late race drama because somebody's running out of tire and somebody else managed the car better and they're catching them. I feel like the classic becomes even more of a speed race with the, the top wing is, is how I would think about it.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, you're going to be going faster with that. Definitely. And- yeah my thing would be what's going to happen to the tires in 200 laps going those speeds yeah. you know so i don't know you might it would be a whole different ball game you know pitting maybe have to pit for tires and you know i don't know it, that's that'd be a whole different
1: animal so there to the
2: try, out. yeah
1: because i hadn't thought about the tire aspect um yeah you know or the fuel for that matter because if you're going right. faster, you use more fuel, so
2: yeah, right, yeah. Going more, going faster, you're going to use you're gonna definitely burn more fuel. So, I don't know where you'd end up. You'd have to pit for fuel and tires, basically.
1: Yeah, it's it's you almost have to, to split it, the race. Oh, yeah, that's been brought up before. That to me, that that kills that when you run a split format, they do that a lot with late model races down here, they'll do a split. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, they say, they advertise it as a 200 lap race. It's really twin one hundreds at that point. Um, yeah. you know, and I always, I'm not a big I fan think, of those. No. Well, I mean, they're yeah. fine be, for what they are, but it it's a different, it's a different race. It's a different thing than, than, you know, yeah. the classic was always an endurance test. And I, and I think, yeah. you know, now that we've got less cars, um and the cars are better and the motors are better. You just don't see quite as much, you know, mechanical breakdown as you used to. Um, yeah. You know, unless somebody wrecks. Um. So it's already a different race. I don't know, boy. That's a great question, Brian. Because I think you you open up a whole other can of worms when you when you run a top wing race and try to go a many laps. I think you got to think about a lot of those things um more so than what I would have thought about even before we discussed it
2: oh yeah the classic is definitely all about being there at the end and yeah endurance and I've I've watched the classic for years you know and I always used to sit there and be like yeah I wish I could go out there and you know be there at the end because anything can happen if you're there at the end you gotta you gotta stay up there you gotta stay in the top 10 i I've run a couple of classics, and I you know, I, I think I got fourteenth in my first one and thirteenth in my second. But I mean, I I didn't light the world on fire. I went out there and finished the race. And watching for years, I knew that's what you needed to do. And yeah. you know, now I'm a little little quicker. I hopefully can stay up there and stay up in the top ten, and you know, maybe get lucky at the end. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it's definitely. A race of uh endurance and being there at the end and avoiding everything
1: it's an exciting race it is and you know i've always said that the fastest car doesn't always win but um i think now when you start less cars because you have less cars i think it makes it easier for the fastest car to win right and they've still got to in you know endure the 200 laps and do but i think we're we're starting to see a pattern here um Brian yeah. says that would be the way to get forty five plus cars again. I'm not so sure it would, honestly. Even if we ran a top wing 200 lap classic, I'm not sure we see forty five cars. Um, yeah, I don't. Think, I,
2: I don't think you'd see that many.
1: I I think we could get back to the thirty four car field again, perhaps. But the other thing that again, you start thinking about what well, we need. You know more tires. We you know how do you deal with the motor, the fuel? Um, if you do split the race it becomes a different race Then it. Then to me, yeah. it's not the classic anymore, but if you you're know. just thinking about it from the standpoint of the best way to get a big field and put on a great show, you know, I think we all have to be open-minded in 2022. Um, you want to keep the big blocks going. I think you got to do what it takes. That's, that's my outlook on that. What say you? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be think for what we got you know and yep you know try to build on it you know i just hopefully there's good things in the future for the division and hopefully we keep moving forward and you know getting more younger guys moving up into the big blocks and we can keep this series going for a long time you know i there's no greater thrill than driving a big block super i'll tell you that i'm sure i'm sure i would love to just you know see the division grow and come back and be strong.
1: I agree. hundred percent. Uh Okay. We, we don't want to let you go here without you uh giving some love to everybody that helps you out because you got a, you got quite a few people that have helped make it possible for you, Jack, to to do what you do every week at the Oswego Speedway. So uh, go ahead and talk about
2: it. Yeah. Let me, I had a,
1: a list of people. Um, this is what's great about live broadcasts yeah Jack is looking now? for his list folks he's um, taking us on a journey through his shop
2: <laughs> can you hear me okay yes we can yeah. sure can Okay. I, I got my new sponsors here uh, Nacho Farm Tattoo Lover Tree Farm um Longley Dodge, been with me a long time. Easy Companies, used to be Easy Paving. They're changed over to Easy Companies. They're a big
1: sponsor of mine. we Brothers Carpet and Duck Cleaning. Uh, Pro One Builder. Uh, Miller Machine and Mechanical. Tyler Property Management.
2: Pro Tile, LLC. RW Penfield Construction, Red Baron Pizza Shop, Tim Gmeiner, and Kenny Myers. I got to thank all those people because uh, they've been, you know, a huge help. And there's no way I'd be able to do this if I didn't have the good sponsors that I've gotten over the years. The Longley Dodge been with me since day one. And, you know, that's Huge support, and uh, I got to thank my my crew, Terry Johnson, Kelly Miller, Ben King, Rusty Natoli, Don Patrick, Joe Hart, Lisa Nash, Cheryl Natoli, because without those people behind me and helping me at the racetrack, I, you can't do it. You just can't do it. It's too tough in the super to try to wing it as a one-man show, which I did some nights in the SBS, but... There's no way you're going to do it in the super modified. And without these people behind me, I wouldn't be able to do this. And I'm very thankful to all of them.
1: Well, we're thankful for you, Jack, and thankful that uh, you're still uh, excited enough to keep showing up on Saturday nights and putting on a show for the fans. And uh, without guys like you, there is no racetrack. So we appreciate you, Jack, and it's great to finally get you on the show. I'm sorry that I left you out uh on show number 90 um i i think that's still your number right 90 you haven't changed
2: yep 90
1: okay yep. i i you don't know, have to ask because my brain takes more frequent naps these days than it used to so um i was going to spend some time memorizing the new number but uh we uh we no. appreciate <laughs> you and, and uh look forward to uh Look forward to seeing you there uh, on Saturday nights again, and uh, and uh, good luck this year, and be safe.
2: Thanks, Tom. It's uh, it was always it was a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate it. And uh, all you fans, come on out and uh, check out the Supermodifieds and step in and say hello.
1: There we go. That's uh, Jack Patrick, everybody, and uh, we're going to uh, carry on with our special inside groove show here as we um continue and again thanks to all of you that have joined us here tonight i said we were only going to go an hour but you know what um we've already started this so we're going to go ahead and finish the show as a live broadcast here and then we'll just uh work on the audio and uh, get it out um here on on tuesday night uh, when the audio show usually premieres so uh we're going to go back to 1972 again again here's the program this is actually the 14th edition uh from the 72 season so that means we're dealing with week 13 and the information that was in the program um and again We're winding up uh, toward the Indy 500 next week. So here's John Hill's racing highlights column, folks. Um, From 1972, the speeds of Indianapolis race cars, which I think he means Indy cars, has been increasing at astronomical rates over the last 10 years, and especially since last year. Now, again, keep in mind, I'm reading you a column from 50 years ago. So get this. There are many reasons for the higher speeds, newer, wider tires, engines that have doubled in horsepower, low, sleek rear-engine cars, and this year, huge inverted wings that exert tremendous downward pressure on the race cars to make them hold to the track in the corners. Sounds like the modern-day supermodified, doesn't it? All this is raised lap speeds at many large tracks that Indy-type cars race on. Now, listen closely here, folks. This is 50 years ago to nearly 200 miles an hour. (laughs) <laughs> they so the uh, the top speed today was 234, and it was the second uh, highest average qualifying speed in the history of Indianapolis. All this has raised uh, oh I mentioned that already, and it is causing much concern among the sanctioning USAC officials. This was back when USAC still sanctioned IndyCar racing, so much so that they're considering drastic changes in the specs of the race cars but there is another concern that of the high bank super speedways that were for the most part built for grand national stock cars in an indie car at speed on a high bank the car's chassis has a tendency to bottom out on the car's wheel suspension this flattens the springs and causes drivers to lose control when they hit a bump on the racetrack this started in this country, at Daytona in 1959, when the track was first built, and it cost the life of an IndyCar driver. Since then, other high bank tracks have been built and Indy cars have raced on them. Many car owners feel flat-turn tracks like Indy, Phoenix, and Milwaukee are the only safe tracks for engine cars. And the funny thing is, we're having the exact same argument today. As for the rule changes USAC wants to make to slow down the cars, <laughs> good luck. A uh, reduction of turbocharged engine sizes, reduction of the wing area and restriction on the total fuel consumption during a race. Turbo engines at present average one and a half miles per gallon. Can you imagine that? Due to the high heat generated, the rules if adopted would be put into effect in 1973, but a return to flat bank tracks is unlikely. There just aren't many anymore. Um, so interesting column there. Um, and, you know, when you think about where we're at the motorsports world today, uh, like I said, we're having a lot of the same discussions. Um, I'll go through the uh, interview or the profile of Roy Murphy, owner of the Shamrock 13, because Roy deserves some love here. That car was really cool. Certainly, one of the finest teams in the supermodified circuit is that of Irish Jack Murphy's car 13, which is headed by Roy Murphy, one of the best light car owners in the pits. Roy and his extremely enthusiastic wife Phil (short for Phyllis) live in Marcellus, New York, with their four children: Gloria, Donald, Diane, and Patrick. During the week, Roy is employed as an automotive machinist. Roy was brought up with racing at an early age when he went making the weekly trek to the area stock car tracks. His love for the sport kept increasing and he eventually started to make the scene at Oswego in 1963. Wow. At first he wanted to drive the sleek supers, but with a growing family, it pretty much prevented him from competing. He did hope that someday he would own a super. However, he attended the races here at Oswego all along. And in 1967, he and Dick Rayner started putting together car 29 which today, again, we remember I'm reading a program from 1972, which today is still owned by Rainier and driven by Mark Letcher. Over the years, Roy's favorites here at Oswego were Jack Murphy and Jimmy Champagne. The 1970 season saw him sit on the sidelines, but the first week of June in 1971, he started building a new supermodified. It took exactly two months and two weeks to complete the car. Wow. Okay, that was uh, a fairly quick build for somebody who's not, was, at the time, didn't have a lot of experience at it. One of Roy's first duties was to put longtime veteran star Irish Jack Murphy, no relation apparently. I always wondered about that back then. Behind the wheel, the car is currently owned or powered by a 427 Ford. So there you go. We were talking about different brands of motors earlier. Uh, I was right. They did have a Ford in that uh, car. One of the few Fords still competing in supermodified racing. Ron and his able-bodied crew consist of Chuck Kacharski, Bill Hoyt, and Mike McGean. He figures it takes 40 man hours each week to prepare the car without, if there's no major damage. The car is equipped with two fuel cells, the fire extinguisher system, and was built as plain and safe as possible i love this this next paragraph is my favorite there are many teams that wear their team colors here at the track making for a more professional show the shamrock 13 team is no different each crew member wears spotless white uniforms i never did understand in as dirty of a sport as racing is why you're wearing all white it does not stay white for very long um Uh, And they're very colorful shamrock 13 jackets, which are also worn by other members and close friends. They're certainly one of the best dressed crews at Oswego. Now, here's my favorite part of the paragraph. We asked Roy Murphy why he painted the car the color that it is and why he decided to number it 13. His answer was, they say the color green and the number 13 are bad luck, but we just don't believe in it, especially my wife, who is from Ireland. Good for you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) my great grandparents came off the boat from ireland uh he also added i feel i have the best bunch of mechanics the best wife and the best driver at the track everything but the best car (laughs) you always love hearing that kind of praise from the guy who built it right uh but maybe next year when we build our new and we may have the best car too although roy has only one year of experience in the super modified circuit he's proven to be a good car owner one of which we at the Oswego Speedway are very proud of as uh, part of the great racing fraternity. Okay, so um, in the racing game that week, uh, we had Nick Rowe and Bruce Kraft. So I don't know how well that worked out. Flipped through some commercials. Oh, look at this. Here you go. <laughs> Ron Pern. I'm going to go ahead and read this to you, too, because we were talking about Ron, who's Cole's dad. Um, Ron raced in 1972. I think that was the only year he raced in Oswego. So here's his profile. When the name Ron Pern is mentioned, we recall seeing this hot prospect in action at the Delaware International Speedway competing in the hobby division. The accurate way to describe his talent behind the wheel of a race car is best expressed in an article on Ron from the Delaware Speedway program written two years ago. It stated, Ron is that driver who is daring and cunning, who goes through the traffic from the back of the pack to the front, faster than greased lightning, always known as a charger, which means he waits for no one. Wouldn't that describe almost any competitive racer? Um, He goes all out from start to finish, giving his best efforts. This is why, perhaps, he is one of the top aspiring drivers in the field and a future star in the supermodified. Any of you know, I mean, do any of you know too much about Ron's career outside of Oswego? Was Ron like a a winner on other tracks or anything? I wonder, maybe somebody in the chat can tell us. Um, Today, Ron is becoming more established in the division, even though the 24-year-old has only been driving the circuit for a half a year. After watching him race the hobbies, you can clearly understand why he has the material to make it big. (laughs) Again, think about that. All these years later, his son has an NASCAR Cup championship. Um, each year he made the noticeable improvement, and it, it was only evident that he would someday make the super class. His career started back in 1964 when he was only 16, when he started driving an old hobby car around the Ontario ovals. He has, th- oh, okay. Well, here's the answer he has three track championships to his credit, winning the titles at Nilestown, Hideaway, and of course, at delaware international speedway in 1969 but now my question would be were all those titles in hobby cars or super or the super ron's present ride is the london concrete special number 41 driven last year by harv lennox when lennox stepped out of racing perm was asked to pilot the car in all season He's had command of the machine. His first race was at Delaware with a car opening night. And Ron's comment about the super was it felt pretty good here at Oswego. Ron made his debut a few weeks ago, and it was off to a rough start as he was involved in the front straightaway scramble at the start of an event. Up to that point, he had impressed many fans with his fine driving ability. He's been back a few weeks now and qualifies and usually finishes in the middle of the field looking better with each race. Helping to keep the 41 in top running condition are mechanics Herb Rogers, T- Tony Sammet, and car Pat Hodgson. Ron lauds the efforts of his crew, saying they work hard and give good efforts. About his future in racing, Ron says, possibly USAC, but nothing definite. I have to prove myself here first. During the week, he's employed as a cash register salesman. There's something you don't see uh, as much of today. And is currently single. Although plans include for him to be married in about two months, so I, he didn't even uh, he wasn't even married to have Cole yet. Having mastered the hobbies, he's currently working on the supers, and many critics agree he someday will enter the championship contention. Whenever he whatever he undertakes, we'd like to wish Ron the best of luck. And again, you just never know, huh? Pretty amazing. Um, so this was from again week thirteen of nineteen seventy two. Um, if you want to know the point standings, Jimmy Champagne was your points leader at that point. I believe he won the championship that year. Uh, nine Oh eight. Oh, wow. Jimmy Champagne in first in points with 908 Baldy Baker second with six Oh three. Oh my. Wow. That was the year of the eight ball, wasn't it? mclaren dom mclaren third kenny andrews fourth Norm macrath fifth and freddie graves jim cheney warren conium jim winks and doug sire rounding out the top 10 and if i kept reading everybody on this page who's got a point one or more points literally we would be here for probably another 10 minutes uh it looks i'm gonna guess there's probably over 50 cars easily on this list um Pretty amazing list, two cars from Canada, cars from New England, cars from uh, Ohio on this list. Um, Pretty amazing time back then. Um, And then there's a little bit of uh, this page that talks about Oswego used to have modified shows on Wednesdays. And you know whose pictures on this page? This car right here um oh no sorry wrong car same same uh driver and paint scheme wrong car it's it's his old little little coupe the little deuce coupe um number eight champagne wins wednesday modified show when you're hot you're hot and there's no doubt about it jim champagne's hot drawing pole in his heat and pole of the feature champagne and his eight ball with every lap of the 50 circuit main event last wednesday's modified show I, I miss the days of midweek racing shows. I I still think there's a a place, honestly, in the sport for that. In fact, in some ways, if you could get a get your racetrack, if you could do it right, I think um, I think running a handful of midweek shows would probably draw more people than some of the Saturday shows. Not as much competition for things to do during the week. Um, Merv Trakler made a gallon attempt to catch Champagne at the end, but he didn't have enough. Earlier in the event, Richie Evans, while trying around trying to go around a tough Roger Treichler for second, slipped a bit coming into the fourth corner and spun right into traffic. He was at broadside by a luckless Jeff Bodine. Super modified drivers Brian Osgood and Ron Wallace finished seventh and eleventh in that feature. Um boy, the names in this in this in this uh finish. Jimmy Champagne, Merv Trikler, Roger Treichler, Mike Losher. In the 88, and Sonny Seaman in the 50, your top five. Then Maynard Troyer, Brian Osgood, Wayne Edwards, Dave Nichols, and Guy Chartran in the Hemi Cuda, number 69. Ronnie Wallace was 11th. Who else did we have here? Roger Burdick in the 54 was in that race. Um, Bugsy Stevens, he didn't get to a Oswego too often. Bugsy finished 20th in that one. Uh, Dutch Hogue, driver of the 18, was also in the race he ran a super a couple times and, uh, Joe Catalano in the 64. Um, so, uh, we'll, uh, we'll go through, there's a few other things that I want to read, uh, from that program and we'll go ahead and do an audio segment with those. Um, I want to close the, uh, video portion of this. I want to thank all of you who stayed to the end here and thank everybody who uh, tuned in for this. Um, there was a lot more that I wanted to do here as far as previewing the season and such. And um, Camden, unfortunately, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Camden Proud was supposed to be out with me tonight, but uh, literally lost his voice. Uh, so um, hope Camden feels better soon. And, and again, um, the Inside Groove 98 will be out on Tuesday night. We'll take this segment and just uh, put it with the what's in a number for the number 98 and uh there are a number of ninety eight um that uh we can talk about over the years that I remember um and don't worry, I'll get the current one too uh so <laughs> we won't miss that one um but uh yeah we're we're uh, we'll have a show out uh, on tuesday episode ninety eight and look forward to uh opening day at the Oswego Speedway on Saturday night Memorial Weekend Saturday what a uh, and again we get to Sunday and we've got breakfast with Monaco's back on the uh, F1 schedule for Memorial Weekend so you got breakfast with Monaco and lunch with Indy and dinner with NASCAR again just can't have uh, a better day of racing than that so uh hope that all of you enjoyed this special inside groove video uh live video broadcast we're going to do a few more of these during the season i promise um and i want to thank before we go and please all of you who are listening to this watching this or listening uh, make sure you support these these guys all of these sponsors um rich worth jns paving my gosh um, rich spends so much of his time money and blood sweat and tears uh, on supermodified racing in the Oswego Speedway at this point, it's hard to even keep track of all the cars and all of the uh, the, the people that, that Rich uh, has working in, with RBI. But uh, then, of course, j paving as well. If you need your driveway paved or a parking lot or whatever, um, don't think twice. Just call Rich. He and his uh, crew will take good care of you. Rich is the Beethoven of blacktop. Okay. He doesn't just uh, create pavement jobs. It, they're works of art okay so so give him a call um and of course uh sean cathcart the folks at skips fish fry they have got steamed clams for a limited time so uh if you like clams that are really really angry uh go to skips and get them skips fish fry steamed clams skips fish com, by the way and uh, of course uh he's got Lagroff's pub too and i see that uh They've got nice little tables with uh, the little fire, uh, little fire pit built into them, kind of really weird uh, technological miracles that we have here. So uh, he- head out to LaGroffe's if you just want to hang out for a while. Um, and he's got dart leagues there. So if you like shooting darts, that's a great place to do it. Um, and, of course, Jeff West, uh, who now has his family as a midget team, Three Stooges Racing brand new team for this year uh far as i know jeff still has the super not sure what his plans are i tried to ask him and i haven't heard back from him yet so hopefully uh, we'll get some word on what his plans are with the super modified for bobby santos but i i hope we'll see him at Oswego at least once or twice this season and uh jeff and the folks at ipcindy.com if you need anything made they can do it Composite stuff, engineering, just incredible. Just go see them and go visit the site at ipcindy.com and uh, appreciate all of them. So, again, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Um, We are going to be back with more of Inside Groove audio style right after this. So long, everyone, from the video. We'll talk to you on the audio side in just a moment. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman, hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the port city. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skips.com. Fishfry.com And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skips Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skips Fish Fry. Skip's fish fries located at forty two West Second Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, eleven to seven so don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, eleven to seven. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, hopman, hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skips.com fishfry.com and by the way you can order online and just go pick it up it's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not so fun part before you get there and then when you get there just pick up your food bring it home and enjoy skips fish fry 42 west 2nd street in oswego go visit them hello everyone and welcome back to inside groove as we continue with episode 98 now back in the studio so to speak um hope you enjoyed i i was gonna go through and edit that live uh live show that we did before i put it in here but i just you know what um a couple of you said that was great we loved it we enjoyed it and i'm like you know i don't want to tamper with the way it was um you know what you got is very raw and uh So hope you enjoyed it. Um and so i had a great time with Jack Patrick. That was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, Jack is is one of those guys that uh every racetrack in every and every division needs Jack Patrick's. They just love it enough to go out there knowing that they're probably not contending for wins, right? But Um, they're going out there and you know, they're, they're going to do the best they can and they just enjoy being a part of it. And, uh, you know what, on the right night and especially now, uh, with Jack having all of that experience in his pit now, uh, maybe they can, uh, get that car to where it can run for wins, who knows, but, uh, certainly, um, a great guy and just a lot of fun. That was, uh, that was a good time. We'll do more of those videos. Um, you know, I'm not very good at all of the production end of it technologically yet. I'm working on it kind of quietly behind the scenes, just doing practice stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're going to do one of those, you really want to do it. You want some different, uh, elements in there and whatever, and just to up the value of it. But uh, So I apologize that I'm not better at that than I am, but I hope you enjoyed the content anyway, and I had a great time with all of you uh, that uh, tuned in and uh, were in the chat. It was uh, was a a very uh, entertaining show and uh, the highlight of the night for me, because after that was the All-Star Race, and we won't go into my opinion on that. It's probably the same as a lot of yours. Um, So let's carry on with the show shall we we were at one point in the live video uh early on before we brought jack in while he was finishing up his dinner uh (laughs) we uh we started to go through um just randomly uh the program from week number 14 of 1972 Nickro was on the cover we got almost all the way through it and then um jack uh showed up in the green room so i wanted to get him on uh so let's go back shall we and uh we've got the in the uh profile of nick rowe to talk about here uh so i'm gonna go ahead and read that and um hopefully this um i have not pre-read it so hopefully it's good uh here we go away from the track with nick rowe I really don't think there are too many drivers in the supermodified circuit who love to go racing as much as Nick Rowe. The well-respected veteran is a favorite wherever he goes, whether it be with the promoters, fans, or fellow competitors. Nick is the pilot of the immaculate Claire Trierweller Special Car 12 and is currently having a fine season of racing. Nick and his extremely charming wife, Midge, live in Portland, Michigan with their two youngest children, Jackie and Nick. They also have three other children, George, Jim, and uh, I believe it's Katie, but it's spelled with two T's. So it's either Katie or Caddy. I don't, I don't know. Um, Nick grew up around the Portland area where he attended high school with his favorite subjects being girls and football. (laughs) How many of you just raised the uh, beverage and went, yeah, um, after graduating, he went into the Navy and, after completing his duty in the service, went to work for Oldsmobile of General Motors. By the way, today Nick holds down a mighty important, important job at Olds, where he is a foreman of the bumper plating department, soon after he married his sweetheart, Midge. Nick got his start in racing in a very unusual way. A guy at work bet Nick. Now, this is why I do this, folks, because now we're getting insider information, or at least I am, because when I was six or seven, I'm sure I read not this one because it was from the year before I started going. But, you know, you read those things and you're a kid. You just don't remember. But um, here comes the insider information. Nick got his start in racing in a very unusual way. A guy at work bet Nick that he wouldn't go racing. He even gave Nick a chassis. That proved to be his mistake. Nick put together an engine and away he went. That was in 1961 and Nick was 30 years of age, sort of late to get a start in the sport. But Nick was as determined as ever and since his start has really made progress. The first few years, he stayed around his hometown ovals. But in 1965, when he started driving for Howard Morris, the current body designer for the 12, they competed all over the Midwest. Nick ran for Morris again in 1966, but in 1967, he jumped behind the wheel of Claire Trierweller's upright car. It was decided to build a new roadster for '68, and that's the current roadster they campaign here. During the last five years, Nick has piloted the Trierweller prepared machines. They've encountered much success each season. When asked what his favorite food was, Nick claimed it was spaghetti. He added, my wife is a tremendous cook. In fact, she's good at everything. Now, there you go. See, that's how you talk about your wife. His favorite drink is coffee, and his favorite color is red. Nick's favorite TV show is Laughing. I used to love that show. How many of you remember Laughing? Oh, my gosh. That show, Hee Haw, those were great shows. They were legitimately funny shows, and I'm not going to say they didn't sometimes push the boundaries with their jokes, but um, certainly isn't like it is today. His motto in life is just to look in the mirror each day and say, you're all right. That's great. We should all do that. We should all look in the mirror every morning and every night and say, you know what? I'm all right. I'm okay. Um, If I'm not ashamed of myself. Oh, okay. So it goes on. Um, The quote is, you're all right. If I'm not ashamed of myself, others shouldn't be. Um, in the wintertime, Nick is kept busy selling and racing his Rupp snowmobiles. When asked what his association in racing has been like, he replied, unspectacular, but really satisfying. That could describe a lot of careers, couldn't it? You meet an awful lot of people, an awful lot of swell people in racing. Nick has a lot of respect for Jim Champagne's fine record in racing, but his favorite driver, of course, is Baldy Baker. Already the 1972 racing season has had one big highlight for Nick and the team of the 12. As on opening day at Delaware International Speedway in Canada, Nick brought the 12 home first in the feature event. Here at Oswego, Nick has missed several weeks of racing, but each time they come, they're usually running right near the front. It's been a great association. Knowing Nick, Claire, and the crew of the 12, they're the kind of competitors you want racing at your track. We only hope that this great team will be a part of our racing scene for many, many years to come. They've helped to make supermodified racing the fantastic sport that it is. And for that alone, we wish them the finest success possible in all the attempts. Um, And, you know, when you think about Nick and the 12, that car, at least in 73, and I don't know if it was always this way, But I remember that car had its own starter. It, it it didn't need a push truck. Now, um, I don't know all the details of all of that. And I think when they built their next car, which gosh, I don't know, did that come out in like 74, 75, somewhere in there, 76, it was, I think it was red. Um, and I think, um, who drove it? George Rowe, actually. I think it was Nick's son. I think it was his son George. Um, they had a uh, uh, in between Nick and George was another driver whose name I'll probably think of in a uh, minute. Bill McClure, I think. Bill McClure. Um, but they, I think, when they built the new car, there it, they went back to they. They didn't put the the starter in or the transmission in or whatever. I don't. I don't know all the details of that. Maybe somebody can embellish on it uh and expand on how that all worked i don't know if it was a manual or just you know whatever but um the other thing that i always thought was unique is if i remember right it seemed like every time the 12 was there it was the first car on the race i don't know if that was you know by design for some sort of reason or just eagerness to get out there and run but i i I swear I remember that car being the first car on the track almost every time it was there for practice uh for warmups. But um I didn't I don't know that I ever really interacted with Nick. Um I'm sure at some point I probably got his autograph. I don't really remember it if I did. Um but I you know I just remember that they you know, they came a long way, obviously, from Michigan, and, and it seemed like they were there more than they weren't, at least from 73 forward till then. I think Nick retired, and uh, Bill McClure took over the car, and I think they raced him in Michigan a bit, and then he came to Oswego, so I, there was some gaps in there, and then they built the new car, and I think George was the driver. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, and uh, they, I think he only ran like one season maybe two. Um, And it might not even have been a full season, but, um, and I don't know what happened to the car after that. It probably was sold to somebody perhaps in Michigan or whatever, but um, that was a cool little team. And uh, if, if my memory serves me correct, I think I remember reading something about Skip Manning, actually running that car once or twice um, somewhere, maybe in Michigan or something as a like a fill-in perhaps i think um but again that was uh that it seemed like they were great people and uh boy what a golden age 1972 the, the the 70s again i keep saying it that was the golden age for uh short track racing i think as a whole and um always fun to to look back at that so uh we'll keep going with that um you know as we carry on in the future here um, and, uh, of course we've got a lot coming up the season starting, everything's kind of kicking off. So we'll, um, you know, we'll do that, uh, as often as we can. And we'll try to do it in order. I was asked, uh, and I just actually saw this message from John, uh, gosh, I'm going to mess up his last name, John. I'm sorry in advance. If I messed this up, I think it's, is it Smirs or, or Smyers? Um, um, he's asking what 72 programs do we still need? So I'm going to go back through this list. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, when we started this, Larry Trinka um, was kind enough to volunteer. He has a bunch more of the 72 programs than I do. So we, we started to um, c- kind of look at what we each had as far as uh, addition numbers. And um, here are the ones that we're missing. Now, we already did program four, so I won't read that one. So uh, between he and I, we're missing programs six, nine, ten, nineteen, twenty. And if it was a book, um, then we need 24 as well. Um, We have the rest of them so again f- programs number f- program numbers four, six, nine, ten, nineteen, and twenty and I'm gonna back up here for a moment because uh Robert Metcalf was nice enough, oh, he gave me number nine, so cross number nine off that list so the the new updated list of programs that were missing um We have number nine now, so I'm going to read this one more time. So we need programs number six, 10, 19, and 20, and maybe 24 if that was actually a program and not the yearbook. We have the classic book. So we, other than that, we've got them all. So as we will get back to doing them in order, I just sort of pulled that one randomly out of my stack um, the other day just as something fun to do during the live show um and uh kind of filler because of course camden proud uh lost his voice and uh, my understanding is that he still hasn't found it yet um so wishing cam uh well here and hope that um hope it gets better hope he feels better before the weekend because obviously it's a big weekend for him making his debut in the uh former Didero car. So I know he's super excited about that. And uh, fortunately there's not two way radios in those things, Um, but he'll still need to be able to speak well enough to uh, talk about changes or maybe uh, Tim can give him a a notebook and he can write them. Um, So anyways, um, let's move on and talk about the number 98 and I'm going to start with Tyler Thompson there. Okay. No, we're not getting, we're not having a Jack Patrick moment, in this show number 98 tyler thompson and tyler uh was confirmed as a commitment car for this week and uh this season and that's great and so good to have tyler uh coming back for a full year hope they do well uh don't know about they had two cars uh obviously last year i don't know if they still do all i know is that the 98 has uh confirmed as a commitment car for tyler now Tyler also ran for um, <clears throat> Mike Barbera in the in the uh, small blocks, the uh, 350 supers, and um, don't know the status of that. Um, I'm hearing mixed reports that say he might, some say he won't, some say maybe he will, some but not full time. Maybe some other drivers in that car, which has been renumbered 75, beautifully done. New purple people eater, uh, basically beautiful car. Um, and, uh, so that should be fun. Of course, uh, Brian Sovis, the, uh, main driver for that car, uh, or for that team in the 45 and he will run full time the 75, which, uh, again, was the car that Tyler raced last year. I don't know what the status of him in that car will be. But uh, so 98, Tyler Thompson, uh, arguably, I suppose, has already kind of vaulted himself to the top of that number by virtue of uh, the classic win and all the success that he's had. Uh, But I go all the way back with the 98 and again, I started in 73, and I go back to Joe McGarry, who I think was running as the 98 in the Super. Now, as a modified, that was another one of those convertibles, I believe. If I remember correctly, there were two of them. Gary Reichert was one with the Turner Brothers car, and Joe McGarry used to take the body off of his modified number 90 and run it as a Super, and I think he he made it 98 And I, again, I'm just guessing here, but I would guess it's because at that time, I think, uh, the Dummigan 90 was still in action. So it's just an easy thing to just do the other circle on top of the zero and make it an eight and go racing. So, um, I remember Joe had, I think it was a stuck throttle and boy, did he clobber the first turn wall, um, steel wall no foam back then, clobbered the wall. And um, I think there was a brief fire, but uh, just totally destroyed that car. I don't remember the year. I'm going to guess 74 or 75. It was really early in my career going to Oswego. And um, I actually remember being there with my sister that night. And I think the only reason I remember this wreck, maybe because I remember her covering her eyes just before he hit. Um, Again, just the silly things you remember about things that happened 50 years ago. I can't remember what I had for lunch the other day, but I can remember that. Um, But that was a violent crash. Uh, I don't remember the extent of his injuries, but he certainly was banged up. Um, And of course, uh, Joe went on to a great success later in the eighties as a team owner, Warren Coney won the classic driving form. He kind of worked with Nolan Swift the last little bit of his career in 78. And then, you know, later uh, built a number 10. And I remember people having an issue with that too. There were some people I remember at the time who didn't like that. He was numbering his car 10. They thought that, you know, that number should have been retired. Um, just like the number eight for Jimmy. And it's like, I, I've never, um, I've never bought into that for racing. I just, you know, again, everybody has a big problem in NASCAR with somebody in the three besides Earnhardt. That was Childress number before Dale drove it. Um, 43 is still running, been running for years without Richard Petty in the seat. And, you know, nobody got sick and died from it. So I just, there's only, 99 individual numbers right and then you get into the triple digits and um that was always fun on dirt but i don't like seeing it you know for the most part in racing it just gets too confusing um and as a fan so um i just never bought into all that i I actually thought it was cool that we had a 10 come back and it was joe mcgarry and you know of course joe finished uh with swift when swift was finishing his career and um, built this car, and Warren Conium, who no one apparently had approached to drive for him back in the early seventies at some point, um, and who actually did race the car one night, um, in seventy-five, Warren ended up winning the classic with it, uh, and and of course they had a ton of other drivers in the car, and uh, I think James, gosh, I well, will I'll, I won't even go into that because I know I'll forget some guys right off the bat, Mike Muldoon, Jamie Moore, Dave McKnight, or three that I think of. Um, so, but back to the 98. So Joe McGarry, I believe, was the 98 when he was running that, that convertible car. And I think that I think he was that when it crashed. Um, so that was the first one I remember. And then I don't know if we had another 98, at least on any kind of regular basis, at a until Ron Mucci. Um and Buck Graham was his original driver. I remember Buck. He was a nice guy. Really nice guy. In fact, um I almost want to say uh I think he and maybe his brother or somebody, he he had a a go-kart track somewhere. Fulton, maybe Hannibal? Um, Minetto somewhere, I want to say there was, he had a, one of the, you know, just a little, uh, you know, recreational track like Thunder Island. Um, at some point early on when he got into racing, I think there was a go-kart track. Um, but, uh, Buck drove. And then I think, and I don't know why Buck stopped driving. I don't know if Buck got hurt and they needed a replacement or I, I don't know what happened there, but I think Dave Shulick might've been the next one. And Dave ran like the wind with the car. um, And then um, maybe Dave McKnight. And then AJ Michaels. I think AJ was the last of Ron's drivers. And, you know, we all know what happened there. That was sad um losing AJ the way that we did uh and um yeah so I think uh and I might have there might be I feel like there were one or two other drivers maybe that hopped in that car at some point um but um I think that gets a lot of them and then now we have Tyler Thompson that's not been a an often used number and it'll be interesting to see if you come up with any other 98 cars that i missed i mean again ron may have had another driver or two that i'm forgetting about um my memory gets worse as (laughs) it's like kind of like my eyesight um i i've gotten to the point now where the closer up you know the the close-up is worse than the farther away and it used to be the opposite my memory is kind of the same i remember more about the 70s and um very early 80s and i do about the you know like later 80s into the 90s and on forward it's just weird um but uh i think that got most of it that's yeah like i said that's a that's been a number that hasn't been often used uh you know and and next week we get 99 and that will that will and our what's in the number because then we get to show 100 and, you know, we don't have triple digits. Uh, I'm not, I could get into dirt stuff, but that would, that, that just wouldn't work well. So <laughs> keeping it to uh Swigo, we'll get to 99 next week. And I can already tell you that I'm, I'm dedicating that show to, uh, Terry strong. And, um, then we'll talk about who else. Obviously there are other drivers in her car, their car, Uh, you know, he had some other guys in the 99 over the years. Joy, I had a 99 car for a bit. Uh, so some cool memories of that number over the years, uh, Clyde Booth. So we'll get to all that on next week's show, um, and, uh, talk about that. So that is what's in the number for 98 and just want to close this show by saying that Well, two things. First of all, uh, I wish everybody in every division at the Oswego Speedway safety and success this coming weekend at the Port City event opening day 2022. Um, I will be at Charlotte all weekend long doing NASCAR stuff because it's there and I have some specific reasons I need to be there. So uh, I will be there, but I will be watching Flow Racing on Saturday night um, from Charlotte from the uh, media center there. And I can't wait looking real forward to uh, what the season can bring. Can't wait to see uh, the different divisions. So uh, again, hope it's a safe weekend, first of all, and successful weekend. I hope to, you know, not, not hope for no bent equipment, but uh, certainly hope it's not much. Uh, Cause I know that, you know, with all this craziness with supply chain and whatever it would, it's, you know, it's, it's a little different if you, um, you know, if you have a, a, a shunt, as they like to say in Formula Racing, uh, if you have a shunt, it's a uh, it it could take a while to rebuild just because parts availability. So, um, you know, I hope that uh, hope everybody comes out of it okay. Good luck to y'all. And the second thing I want to say is thank you to all of you who listen to this show and have uh, been so enthusiastic about it. Uh, thanks to the sponsors, of course. Sean Cathcart has two um businesses now that uh, are a part of this show skips fish fry of course uh and uh believe he's still at the gonna be uh, at the track as a concessionaire so uh you know go support uh, and go get some fish on saturday night uh support his his uh, concession and of course uh also Lagroff's pub uh go visit Lagroff's pub they have dart leagues there. Uh, just go get some good food after the races, enjoy yourselves. Um, it, uh, I had no idea until I talked to him the other day, the expanse that he had done, um, with that pub since he bought it. Can't wait to, to see it, uh, looking forward to getting up there as soon as I can. And that'll be, um, a stop I'm going to have to make. Uh, just out of curiosity, let alone because he supports the show. So uh, we'll see what that's all about when we get up there at some point, hopefully this year, if gas stops going to the North Pole. Um, so I uh, wish all of you well and uh, hope, again, I hope for a, a great opening weekend at the Oswego Speedway. We will be back next week on Tuesday. We will have the next show out on Tuesday. I apologize. This took a little longer um, to uh, get together. But uh, we'll be back in the saddle next Tuesday night, episode number 99 of the Inside Groove. And uh, if Cam has a voice, he will be back. Uh, Until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you for listening. Please share the show. Um, If you need to know how to find the show, just steeringwheelnation.com. That's all you got to do, or just share it from the Inside Groove page um, as soon as it gets posted, which will be in this case on Thursday evening. Uh, appreciate all of you guys god bless have a great weekend let's go racing
0: so long you've been listening to inside groove powered by ipc indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com inside groove is a race chaser media production